the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Wednesday afternoon, October 6th, 99.5 KKLA and KPRZ in San Diego. Welcome into Southern California Live. I'm Bob Lapine. Big baseball day today as the Cardinals and the Dodgers get ready to play later today. And uh, we're not going to talk about baseball. We're going to talk about being moms and dads, and we're going to talk about managing your money wisely and well. So we've got a lot lined up for you this afternoon. And I don't know how many of you are, um, I, I don't know, I don't know uh, whether you go back as far as I go back, but you're, were you around in 1980? So 1980 was when everything went south for the Eagles. Um, the, the not not the Philadelphia football team, not the uh, the bald eagle. I'm talking about is when everything went south for the the rock band, the Eagles, right? Uh, they had they'd had a they'd had hits. They'd had the whole Hotel California thing. They toured. Everybody loved. They were huge. But they just were not getting along. Don Henley said, I'm done. Um, He was famously asked if the band would ever get together again. And he talked about there there would have to be some kind of a a climate uh, phenomenon take place in in the nether regions. Do you understand what I'm talking about? So it looked like it was uh, it was completely over for. Uh, the Eagles in 1980, and there was a uh, there was a long season where people kept wondering. I wonder if the Eagles will ever get back together again. I wonder if we'll ever get a chance to see the Eagles in concert again. And uh, in 1994, uh, it it happened. I I don't know the details, but after a 14 year separation. The Eagles were back. They toured. They did a live album. People came out to see them. It was it was a big deal. So a 14-year hiatus before the Eagles got back together again. And for Eagles fans, it was a huge deal. Well, it, it has not been 14 years. It's only been about four or five months at this point. And I don't think there is as big a fan base as there was for the Eagles. But I'm here to announce to you today that for the first time since the breakup back at the end of May, the reunion is happening here on Southern California Live. I am back together again today with Dave and Ann Wilson who I, I spent years with on Family Life Today. This is this is the first time we have we've done this together since we wrapped things up 
back. We, we, I feel like we should have a little eagle. No, I'm, I'm saying this, and as soon as I say it, Dave Wilson grabs his guitar and wants to play it. We can't, not over the phone, Dave. All right, we don't need it. Dave and Ann Wilson are joining us this afternoon on KKLA on, on, and KPRZ here on Southern California Live. We're back together, guys. The the band has been put back together. <laughs> I tell you what, that's a stretch comparing us to the Eagles. <laughs> you know, it, it was when hell freezes over, right? <laughs> I said it was a a climactic occurrence in the netherworld. I tried to be delicate about it, and you just come uh, right out with it. This whole intro it just made me miss <laughs> miss you all the more. <laughs> So for those yes, of you I was grabbing my guitar, I knew you were, I knew you were for those yeah. of you who tune in weekday mornings at eight 30 to listen to family life today, you guys know that for 28 plus years, uh, I co-hosted that program first with Dennis Rainey for 26 years. And then the last two and a half, three years, it's been with Dave and Ann and back in the spring, I said enough of this and just handed it over to them. I said, I got I'm taking a vacation and um, and so they have been very competently steering the ship since I left. But uh, I thought here on Southern California Live, since I'm sitting in here for a few days and and doing this, I thought we should get the band back together again and we'll do some of our greatest hits for, for listeners. One of the, th- the the reason I wanted to have you guys on is because um, in the last year, you have released a book on parenting that I, I am hearing from so many people over and over again about how helpful this book has been for them, how how significant it's been to help them reframe and reorient, reprioritize their own parenting. And I thought, well, we should get you guys on and let's just spend an hour talking about uh, how the kids are messing up the grandkids today, right? We just want to rail against the parents and get them fixed. So that's what you're here for. So <laughs> can you go ahead and fix the, today's parents so that all the grandparents can do better now? <laughs> Well, if our uh, parenting mistakes can help somebody else, then here we are. <laughs> and, and the book you've written is and, called No No Perfect Parent. So it really, you, you and, and the thing I love about you guys and about this book is um, you do not camouflage uh, the mistakes mm-hmm. that you made or that all of us made. Because anybody who's in our stage of life looks back at our parenting season and goes, yeah, there are some areas where I would like a do-over. Well, not only that, Bob, but as our kids get older, um, our kids have come back and told us, like, well, this was really hard for us. And I think that we we can get so worried about our kids or even our grandkids, especially, man, this is a different culture today. And I'm sure that our parents said that and we said that, but we just thought, let's put a book out to give parents hope because it's not easy. We all make mistakes. But we can have a firm foundation of Jesus and offer each other grace and do it together. I think that's really helpful to do it with community and a church. Yeah, when, when when you guys sat down to begin work on this book, and it was after your book Vertical Marriage had come out, and that resonated with so many people, and and so now let's talk about parenting. This really put you in a in a season where you were pulling back and really doing a kind of a postmortem and a reexamination of your own parenting and saying, okay, what worked, what didn't work, what would we do differently? What would we do the same way again? And how would we coach a younger couple? 
Was that process of of uh, sitting down and putting your thoughts together was that difficult or or was it easy for you? Um, I mean, parts of it were difficult. Other parts, you know, were more natural because we've been teaching on parenting at our church and at conferences. But, um, you know, I think when your kids become adults, you know, adults, they come back. I know I did the same thing with my my mom and dad in my 30s. I came back with some hurt. Well, guess what? Our kids did. <laughs> they did the same thing. And so it did make you reevaluate and then try and, uh, as I said earlier, sort of try and help other younger parents with young kids not go down some of the same roads that we went down. In other words, learn from some of the things we did wrong. Yeah, and I think you... the other thing too, Bob, yeah, is go ahead. that we, you know, and maybe you did this too, is when we would have a parent talk, this is when we were younger and our kids were younger, and they would have their kids, even teenage or young adult kids, speak with them and talk about it. I remember locking in to those kids more than even the parents. And so before we started writing the book, we said, let's ask our kids if they'll comment at the end of some of our chapters of what they thought we did right or wrong. (laughs) Well, what happened was we ended up having a lot of discussion about those things that we did wrong. And honestly, it was hard, but it was really helpful. And so that's why we included that in the book. Was that, you say it was hard, was it? painful to hear some of the things your kids said? Yeah. I mean, um, I mean, Bob, you've heard me say, but two of my sons sat me down. Um, you know, I thought we were actually going to play golf and, uh, (laughs) it ended up being, (laughs) they said, Hey, we got a, you know, something we want to talk to you about, which means they talk to each other about it, you know? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And, uh, they shared how, it was hurtful to them that I was more vulnerable on the stage as a pastor, as a conference speaker, than I often was in my own home with them. In other words, sometimes they'd hear stories that were pretty vulnerable from me, and they'd be sitting there going, we've never, we don't even know this part of Dad, but this whole congregation is getting an intimate look into his life, and we haven't gotten that. And that was hurtful because, you know, I would say they're the most important young men in my life, and yet I was sort of acting like the congregation was more important. So, yeah, I mean, when they shared that, first thought I had was they're exactly right. I I, I wasn't defensive at all because I was like, wow, yeah, I really did do that. And the second thought was help me understand how that hurt you and, and help me understand how I can do better because we're not done. You know, mm-hmm. they're young men and – uh, I'm I'm an older man, but we hopefully get decades yet to go. You guys know because we've talked about this before, but I felt the pressure when we were raising our kids. I felt like my job is to model for them what a a good and godly husband father is supposed to look like, and and I thought that meant don't let them see. Um, your mistakes. Don't let them see the cracks. Don't let when you mess up, kind of keep that hidden from them. And it was only later that I recognized that I was stunting their own spiritual growth by not showing them how everybody does mess up 
and here's what you do when you do mess up. I didn't model that for them. I just kind of kept that hidden away. And and in one way, I, I created an unrealistic standard by not letting them see the, the cracks mm-hmm. and the weaknesses and my, my own sins. So I think what what your boys came back to you with was kind of that we wanted to see the whole picture, and you were just you were showing us the airbrush version. Mm-hmm. Well, Dave might have done that. And, Bob, you know me well enough that I really cannot hide anything. (laughs) So there wasn't a lot of airbrushing going on in our household with mom um, because I did let them see everything. And I'm I'm more of a talker. And so they heard a lot. But the thing that our kids came back and said to me was, and this is (laughs) One of our kids actually was going to taking some Bible classes in seminary and they were getting into some of their past pain. And I didn't, you know, I said, Oh, that's really cool. And so I happened to, I happened to call him um, and just say, Hey, we're doing a parenting. I'm doing, we're doing a parenting session. Could you give me some tips on what you thought we did well or what we did poorly in parenting and he said, actually, Mom, I'm taking this class right now, and what I'm realizing <laughs> is that you really didn't listen to the pain that I was in. And I was like, uh, it, oh. I said, wait. He said, I don't, I don't want you to talk about this publicly. I want to just tell you personally that it felt like you were just trying to fix me, and you were so fearful that I didn't know what was going on. And so, anyway, that was really hard. Like, I wasn't great at attuning with our kids when they were in pain. I just wanted to jump out of the pain. Yeah. And I want to talk, I want you guys to talk about uh, those of us who are in this stage who do look back and go, man, we we messed up. I mean, we'd look at some of those significant gaps in how we raised our kids, and we look at our kids and think, did I, did I cause, they're making these choices. How am I responsible mm. for some of the, I want to talk about that. And then we're going to pivot and talk to those who are in the process of raising the next generation and get your yeah. best advice for them. So let's start off. Cause Anne, one of the things you talk about in the book is, is mom guilt and mom regret. And I don't think it's just moms. I think moms and dads, especially when we get to this stage of life, we can have a lot of uh, pain and regret, and we think, I I really blew it, and and there's no way to fix what I what I messed up. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I I think we've all lived through that. You can't be a parent without feeling some of that. And um, I think what I ended up continually going back and apologizing to our kids because I felt so much guilt. Um, and the great thing is God's grace. What would we do without the sovereignty of God and the grace that he gives? And we aren't perfect, and we are going to fail. And so I think Dave and I have both stood before often, and I said it to one of our kids last night on the phone, like, man, I'm really sorry. I feel like, because he was bringing something up, and I said, I feel like we failed you in that. I think the trick is not to continue to beat yourself up, because the enemy of our soul is the accuser. And man, I can remember nights just laying in bed thinking, this is my fault. If I hadn't done X, Y, and Z, they wouldn't be struggling with all these other things. And I think what I have to continually do is cast my cares upon Jesus, but also my kids of saying, Lord, I'm trusting you. 
I'm not perfect, but you are, and they need you, and you are their answer. I'm not. And so I think that's all we can do is tell our kids we're sorry. How can we be better? And, I mean, that's where the grace of Jesus comes in. Dave, you want to add to that? You know, I I tended to be the one that um, laid in bed at night and slept. <laughs> <laughs> doing this or doing something wrong when they're teenagers and often I'd be like no they're not you know they're good kids and you know I think somewhere in the middle is the truth because there were there were some days and nights where she was exactly right you know and and she was uh, bringing up a fear and feeling like we had let them down in some way so I think I mean some of the some of the guilt is in some ways healthy I don't mean guilt is healthy but you know, feeling like you can uh, apologize and, and sort of reboot, restart. But at, at the other side, and we talk about in the book, is you don't want to parent out of fear. Yeah. And so many parents often, you know, set their rules or their boundaries based on fear. And we need rules and we need boundaries. But fear-based parenting is not the way to go because it just it grips you and you're you live in anxiety the whole time rather than freedom and grace. And so obviously there's some kind of balance that we tried to make. And even us as uh, two parents, we sort of had that balance. One of us was feeling one way and I was feeling the other. And sometimes it went the other, the other way. I remember for years, Dennis Rainey reflecting on the fact that our kids are not robots. There's not a recipe. Yeah. You, you can't just program in the right code and have the right results spit out because they make their own choices and kids raised in the same home make different choices for different reasons because of different personalities or different life events. Mm -hmm. And at the end of the day, we have to kind of uh, pull back from the idea that um, we are, we are sovereign over them and that, uh, that how we govern is determinative because our kids are going to choose what they're going to choose. And, and we have to leave that between them and God. Yeah. And I, and I also think, uh, and we wrote about it a little bit in the book, how um, sometimes we, as parents, we sort of set the goal that our kids would be perfect and never sin. You know, that's sort of our goal. And when they do, we're just wiped out because we're so discouraged that we didn't do it right. They're going to sin. That's going to happen no matter how perfectly you parent them. And I actually think um, we sort of, I mean, Ann and I sometimes differed on this, but I was like, man, I sort of want to be there when they sin so we can help put together the broken pieces while they're still under the roof, uh, under our roof. Cause we know when they leave, you know, when they make mistakes, we're not going to be there. And so in some ways, while they're teenage years making some bad decisions, we, we get to be around them to help, put the pieces back together. I know that in some ways it sounds crazy, but the man I am today mm. was built in many ways by some bad decisions I made as a younger, younger man that taught me a lot about what it is to be a man of God. And so I wouldn't, in some ways, you know, I look back and I would change a lot of things. There's some things I wouldn't change that I did wrong because it made me who I am today. And that same thing happens with our kids. I would, I would also add, Bob, it's never too late to apologize to your kids. I happened to take our parenting book, No Perfect Parents, and I read it, parts of it, 
to my dad, who's 92, you know, and he can't hear well, so I'm right up on his ear, and he's not great health-wise. And as I was talking about dads and daughters in the book, and I read to him just this little part that I felt my dad did a good job. And when I stopped, he looked at me, and he said, I really wasn't there very often for you when you were growing up, and I'm really sorry about that. And and I'm 60, and can I just tell you that that felt like really good and affirming? And of course, of course I forgave him years ago, but it's still, there was something just beautiful about a 92-year-old man still being able to say, man, I probably didn't do that great, and I'm sorry for that. So I don't think it's ever too late to say those words to our kids. I remember, Bob, I filmed that. We were in his assisted living watching that, and we put it on our Instagram if anybody wants to watch it. But I could tell by looking at Ann's face, a 92-year-old dad saying that to a 60-year-old daughter, really, it touched her heart. Mm-hmm. And and I think all of us need to remember that what God does best is to make beauty from ashes, and so yeah. the mistakes that we made, the things that we did wrong, that the mistakes you made growing up, Dave, now there is glory and beauty in redemption and in the wisdom that comes from having learned from your mistakes. And I tell parents all the time, the story is not over with your kids. The choices they're making are not necessarily the choices they're going to make for a lifetime. And and you can trust God and run to him and find grace in the midst of looking back and going, I should have done this or should have done that. Well, God knows and God can heal and he can bring beauty from ashes. We're talking with Dave and Ann Wilson about their book, No Perfect Parents. Uh, Dave and Ann host Family Life Today, which is heard on KKLA, 8.30 in the morning. So I hope you're tuning in each morning and getting practical biblical help and hope for your marriage and your family. Uh, Weekday mornings here on KKLA. Uh, Or you can find Family Life Today on the Family Life app. If you're looking for a way to listen to it on the go, it's uh, available there as well. When we come back, I want you guys to to, to get out some of your best coaching tips. And I'm going to put a room full of, we'll we'll start with the the parents who are raising the toddlers and then the the, uh, elementary age kids and then the teenagers. And just give us your best coaching tips for each of those stages of parenting as we continue the conversation here on Southern California Live. We'll be right back. Southern California Live on KKLA and KPRZ. Wednesday afternoon, we've got Dave and Ann Wilson from Family Life Today joining us this afternoon. We're talking about parenting. We're talking about their book, No Perfect Parents, which... uh, is a book that I think is is helpful for parents at every stage of the parenting process to help stimulate your own thinking about how you can be more purposeful, more intentional, more strategic in your parenting journey. And I want uh, I, I want to dive into the stages of parenting and just walk through this. Uh, your oldest CJ, how old was CJ when your youngest Cody was born? He was five. So at one point you had, I mean, CJ was just going off to kindergarten when, when you had, you, you had babies for a while around the house. 
Yep, we had a five-year-old, a three-year-old, and a newborn. And with that last baby, I was on bed rest from six months to his birth. So to have two little boys, a four- and two-year-old in the house, and be be pregnant on bed rest, that was really something. Super okay, so hard. You, for you, me. <laughs> <laughs> and and you guys know that whether you're dealing with bed rest or just three active youngsters around the house, I mean it's overwhelming, it's all consuming. You feel like every moment of every day you are focused on their safety, their protection, their needs. It's it's so consuming that parents get exhausted, and really it feels like this stage of parenting, the mode you're in is just help me get through the day and survive. To try to think about anything strategic or intentional is like, you got to be out of your mind. I'm just trying to make sure we get fed and, and uh, bathed and put to bed alive tonight. That's so true, Bob. I used to say like four words, I have no life. I have no life anymore. And it's true. If if everyone lived and you got them to bed, you felt like that was a victory. Today yeah, was that's a victory. Right. We did it. So let's talk to um, moms. We'll, we'll start with moms. Talk to moms who are in that stage, overwhelmed with kids around the house, and, and it just feels like they've got no life outside of that. And to think of doing anything meaningful or strategic or important just feels like, that's that's just uh, that's asking too much. How would you coach a young mom in that stage to make the most of those years? I mean, I feel like I do have those conversations with young moms a lot, and some of those are my daughter-in-laws because we have six grandkids and the oldest is six. So they are living that. And I think what I would say is this is it. Like these days may seem so long and mundane, but it is just that. It's a stage. I know that everybody in the grocery store is saying, oh, enjoy it. You know, it just goes so fast. And you feel like today felt like a million years. But it is a stage, and it's really important. I wish I wish someone would have told me that at that point in my life. Like, these days are long, and they're grueling, and you feel like you've given all of yourself over to your job and to raising your kids or whatever else is going on. But it's well worth it because you're shaping these little people. You know, you're shaping their morals, their values, their personalities. And really, just them being with you, you're not perfect by any any means. But your presence is so important. And you're also shaping them spiritually. You know, I remember thinking, like, I'll never have time to sit down with my Bible and just read it for a length of time. And I didn't. But then... There were other ways that I connected with God where I would pull out my Bibles and my kids would be in my lap and they'd be on my back. And I'd just maybe read a verse and I would pray out loud. And so I learned how to do my walk with God and parenting together. I talked out loud to God all the time with my kids around me, and that was prayer. And so they saw that. And I felt like they were desperation modes, but those were mentoring days. And they may not remember a lot of that in those times, but there's um, they see it and they feel it. And so I think those days are just so precious. I mean, we were just with four of our grandkids for the last two days, and we heard exhausted. And we're like, oh, yeah, I forgot how hard it is. But I also see, man, it's well worth it. You go, moms, you go. 
And you know that a lot of moms, especially here in Southern California, they've got an, an hour, maybe an hour and a half in the morning. And then when they pick the kids up from daycare on the way home, they've got that plus dinner plus everything, the decompress until those kids are in bed at seven or eight or nine o'clock that night. And they feel like I've got just a few windows in my day and I'm mostly focused on pragmatic issues. If you were going to coach them on beyond the pragmatics, if there's one goal with your two-year-old, your three-year-old, your four-year-old, one thing that you want them to pick up and see and catch from you in those windows of time that you have available, can you narrow it down to one thing that you want to drive home in the early years? I mean, I think as you say that, I think that the, the one thing would be, and and this is connected to my walk with God, and I don't know where everybody is spiritually, but for me, this was important because those are the days where I just felt like I can't be everything to everyone. Um, and because of that, I would cry out to Jesus and say, Lord, you have to help me. And so that connection, it's like John 4 of the woman at the well Jesus gives us, gives us and offers us springs of living water that overflow. And so because he was my resource, my help, my comforter, my hope, that would give me the power through his spirit to give that back to my kids. And because of his love, I could then speak his love into them, even when I felt like I had nothing left of just looking my kids in the eyes and just saying, I love you, and Jesus loved you so much. Like, if that was if I was one thing, it would be that, take that from God, let him fill you up so that you can then give it to your kids. Because in my own strength, I've got about five minutes worth of something to give to them. <laughs> but he, he does supernatural things in us and through us, even in our brokenness. We can help do that. Dave, talk to the dad who is thinking, man, I, when, when I'm driving home from work, what I'm thinking about is I can't wait to get home so I can just relax a little bit and unwind. And, you know, I mean, I've had a hard day and I just need a little time to decompress, maybe turn on the game. And, and if you've got toddlers at home, I remember our mutual friend Jeff Schulte saying he used to pull off on the side of the road about five minutes from his house and take take five minutes in the car just sitting on the side of the road and do a mental shift and go, I'm going from the job I've been in for the last eight hours to the job I'm headed to now, which may be the more important job. So I'm not getting home to relax. I'm getting home to, to get right in the middle of it and and pitch in and help out with the kids. Yeah, I mean, I had to do the same thing that Jeff did. And I would just say to the guys, your wife needs you. She really needs a partner that's engaged to help her. I mean, I'm smiling as I say it because I'm not, I wasn't the best. I mean, I, I mean, if anybody read our vertical marriage book, it was, you know, when Ann said she had lost her feelings for me, that was the years we were in. I mean, our oldest was probably four or five. Four. Yeah. And the three-year-old and Cody was just being born. So those we're in the trenches and I escaped to my job. I didn't come home enough. I was pouring my life into my starting a church and Detroit Lions chaplain. And I think I probably did a lot of that because it was a lot easier than coming home. (laughs) 
I mean, as hard as it was to start a church from scratch, it was easier than parenting three kids under five years old. And it was, it was the wrong move. I needed to be home. I needed to be helping. And eventually in that first year of starting our church, after we almost lost our marriage, one of the things I said to our church was, I'm not going to be available to meet with men in the evenings. Uh, I need to be home helping my wife and being a partner to put our kids to bed and reading the Bible with them and praying with them. And if you want to meet with me, you can meet in the morning with me. But at night, I need to be home. Now, I wasn't home every night, but I wanted to be home more than half the week. And I thought the church would 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 celebrate that, and most of them were upset with that. They were like, you're our pastor. You need to be available for us. And now that I've got grown sons and grandkids, it was one of the best decisions I made. Well, and, and at our house, I know um, bath time and PJs and story and putting you to bed, that was I, – I just took that job on. And I don't remember it was Marianne saying, here, I need you to do this. It just – I. I pitched in and did that, and our, our girls, our kids would tell you that they loved that connection with us, but I think Marianne would tell you she just loved having a respite uh, some time where she mm-hmm. could just take she, – she loved, honestly, cleaning the kitchen by herself with nobody else where she felt like she was accomplishing something and, and getting something done and just a little peace and quiet and a little me time while she did that, so – I would say to to moms and dads, this is this season is a hard season. It's not an insignificant season. You can, as Anne said, pour in the message that there is a God who loves you. We we wanted to pour into our kids the idea that um, you are not the center of the universe and you're a part of a family, but the whole world doesn't revolve around you. We wanted them to learn that in an early age, and then dad, be engaged and be equipped in these years. We're talking with Dave and Ann Wilson about their book, No Perfect Parents. You hear Dave and Ann weekday mornings at 8.30 here on KKLA. And uh, we're going to continue the conversation and talk. We're going to kind of skip over what we call the golden years and get into the teen years because that's where Mm. a lot of the parenting comes off the rails. But we'll take a quick time out and continue our conversation in just a minute. Stay with us. Southern California Live, KKLA and KPRZ. On Wednesday afternoon, we're talking about parenting with Dave and Ann Wilson, the hosts of Family Life Today, which is heard weekdays here on KKLA at 8.30 in the morning. It's available on demand on the uh, Family Life app, and it's also uh, available as a podcast if you want to subscribe to it wherever you get podcasts. Dave and Ann have written a book called No Perfect Parents, and we're talking about the challenges of parenting and I, I want to talk about the teen years with you guys, because I think a lot of moms and dads, I, at least this was the case for us, in the elementary years, you get lulled into this sense that, okay, now we've kind of found our footing. Our kids are no longer throwing tantrums in the in the grocery store. They're behaving. They, can, they still want to cuddle and hug, and they're sweet, and they're learning to obey, and they want to please mom and dad. And then puberty hits, and, and peer pressure hits, and... It's like, what happened to these kids, and now parenting gets hard again? And I think a lot of mom and dads, the mistake, at least for us, we made this mistake thinking that 
the, the golden years of elementary school were supposed to just kind of uh, transition into the teen years. And we were thinking that's our job is to keep it like that. Really, you have to look at the teen years with your kids as transition years. These are the last years they're under your roof and in your home. You've got to be intentional about getting them ready for launch, don't you? Yeah, I mean, um, definitely you're thinking about getting them ready for launch. I I remember as they hit their senior year in high school, you know, feeling sad because they're going to be gone in just a few months. Um, For us, um, and I know it's not true for every home, but we – I love the teenage years. Those were some great years. Again, that doesn't mean it wasn't hard. It doesn't mean there were nights where we didn't sleep because they were making some poor decisions. There was rebellion. I mean, there were things that were really, really hard as parents, but of all the stages, for me anyway, that was my favorite. But, Bob, you were totally right. Like, we were in those golden years, and you start patting yourself on the back like, well, Look at our kids. This is amazing. <laughs> and then they hit these teenage years, and you're like, wait, what What happened? <laughs> I feel like life is like that. You know, we think it's going to be like this the rest of our lives, but we continue to transition into these different phases. But it took us a while to transition into those years, and it was a little panicky at times as well. Yeah, here's the thing that we experienced. Our kids were beginning in their in their teen years to express their independence and their self-will and saying, this is how I think life ought to be lived. And here are the choices I want to make. And, and you want them doing that because if they don't do that, they're dependent on you for the rest of their lives. And, and that's not going to work. You want them to, to step into making those kinds of decisions. But when they start doing it and doing it clumsily and poorly, when they're 15 years old, as a parent, you get panicky and think, this is terrible. Our kids are are never gonna they're never gonna mature and make good decisions, and and we, we've blown it. And they should be. We think a fourteen year old should have sound judgment, and I don't know why we think that. We didn't have it when we were fourteen years old. Why would we think our kids would have it, right? Yeah, and I think you know one of the worst things a parent can do when their son or daughter is starting to question the values of the Wilsons or the Lapines that they've been taught their whole life, they're going to start to question those at 13, 14, somewhere in there. And I think the worst thing a parent can do is become domineering then, you know, more rules, pushing it harder on their kid. And that's what we tend to do because they're, they're, they're turning away from what we've raised them up. And I think what they really long for in that, and in that moment is a, is a parent who will, pursue them with a relationship, cultivate the relationship, because as much as it feels like they don't want a relationship with us because they're pulling away, which is completely normal, they're becoming an adult, they do want a relationship with us. And we've all heard the statement, rules without relationship equals rebellion. And it's not a guarantee, but if all they get are rules and there's no cultivating of the relationship, um, it could tend to have them just turn away from that. They're going to they're gonna question almost everything and as we walk walk alongside them, hopefully we can help them navigate that in a successful way. And did you panic when your kids were starting to make their own choices and they were pulling <laughs> away emotionally and you were thinking, I'm losing them and they're going to become juvenile delinquents? <laughs> yes. 
especially each one, and I think parents can relate to this, each kid is so different. You know, like you have one that's super outgoing, and then we had one of our kids as a teenager, he would be up in his room. And Dave and I are both pretty extroverted, so I'm saying to Dave, what's he doing up there? Is he building a bomb? Like, what's happening? (laughs) And so I was panicky. I was, um, especially with our first son, I feel like I I was, uh, I flew off the handle a lot more. Um, I got angry quicker. And I've learned, I think, especially with our youngest, like, stay calm and don't panic. No matter what they tell you, appear to be calm, even if you're panicking inside. <laughs> and, man, I even share in the book how, <laughs> um, how our son was 14 and he just had an attitude. And I think, too, for a mom, feels like, especially with sons, that they can push us away. And my friends with daughters feel that same thing. Remember, our sons used to beg us, like, Mom, get in bed and lay with me and read and let's talk. And then there was a day that they said, they're like, what are you doing? Like, get out of here. (laughs) I always say, don't take it personally. Mm -hmm. But anyway, I go back to this 14-year-old. We're with all of our friends at a potluck. There's probably... 30 people all together in this kitchen about to eat, and we're getting ready to pray. These are all church people. Dave's the pastor. You know, they all go to our church, and it's quiet. We're getting ready to pray, and all of a sudden you hear someone say, this food looks awful. It looks like poop. This is what he says. And I am so humiliated. Everyone in the room hears it's awkward, and I'm, I'm like, humiliated. Then later in the evening, he makes this big deal because I asked him to carry his little brother out on his back because he had forgotten his shoes because we ice skated. Well, and then he yells in front of everybody in the whole room, I have to do everything in our house. <laughs> and so we get to the car, you know, and I'm in his ear. I don't care. At that point, I'm so mad at him. I'm not thinking, like, what, what would Jesus do? I'm just thinking... I am so mad at this kid, and I'm, I'm in his ear saying, that was a terrible attitude, that was disrespectful, it's so embarrassing. And we get to the car, and he opens the car, and he puts his little brother in the car, and he's off balance, and it's winter in Michigan, so there's a big snowbank. And I nudge him, he falls in this snowbank, I jump in the car and lock him out of the car, and he's pounding on the car door window saying, Mom! Let me in. And then the Pastor Dave walks up, and he says, what's going on? So, Bob, that, that's kind of where I was. And then I had to apologize. I'm crying on the way home, saying I'll never talk about parenting because I'm the worst. That's a good reflection of teen years with parents where sometimes it feels like you're out of control as well as they are. And I, I think your advice about learning to practice our not freak out face when they come home from school and say, what does this word mean? Or my friend told me this, or, uh, you know, everybody's going and doing this this weekend. Can I go too? And and you're just thinking, no, you're not, you're not leaving the house again until you're 21. You have to, as a parent, just go, I've heard you say this. You learned how to say, huh, that's interesting. Tell me more about that. And just get them talking about some of these things. In fact, I, I should mention. Those, go ahead. We call those years of teenage years. You live in the question. Instead of saying you're not going to do this or you are going to do this, 
it's the, and you know that maybe they aren't going to do it, but you're always asking them, tell me what about, what do you think you should do? What do you think about the movie? What do you think about the party? And so it's, it's getting them to learn how to make great decisions for themselves. You guys talked about the teen years this morning on Family Life Today, and I'd just say to those of you who are parenting teens, if you missed the program, it's available online or on the Family Life app. You can go back and listen to it, and we'd be great for you, especially, again, if you have teenagers. You need all of the coaching, all of the help, all of the encouragement you can get. And uh, so today's Family Life Today uh, with Dave and Ann talking about parenting during the teen years. Tomorrow, you're going to have Sam Albury on to talk about why does God care who I sleep with? And I thought, that's kind of a bold subject to tackle with Sam. Tell us about what you're going to talk about with him tomorrow morning. Well, I mean, as you know, Bob, Sam is such a wise uh, man who knows the Word of God. He's brilliant. Yeah. I mean, we felt pretty stupid, actually. <laughs> <laughs> talking to him because he's so so intelligent um but yeah i mean that is a question a lot of people are asking uh, i guarantee as a parent your kids if they're not asking it yet when they're teenagers that's a question of that why does god really care and why does god say no about uh sexual relationships with um someone before you and you are in the covenant of marriage and so sam takes us really through scripture and wisdom to just walk through. There's a reason God says no, whether it's this aspect of your life or any other aspect. And I got to cut no you off there because that's 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 tomorrow morning. We we are out of time. Dave and Ann Wilson, thanks for joining us and uh, tune into Family Life today tomorrow morning. Uh, thanks, guys. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.